0: comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. If you have your own Bibles, I encourage you to look up this passage in your Bibles. Um, If not, if you're using one of the church Bibles, the reading can be found on page 1208. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first, so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, a message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come.
1: Oh, there's a big Bible up here. I'll just put it over there. It's lovely to be here, and indeed, in many respects, um, I feel quite at home. In fact, Leslie and I both do. For, for 18 or 20 years, uh, when we were working in the church at Liverpool in southwest Sydney, it was a congregation just like this. Uh, multicultural, uh, uh, closer to a, an urban area, and indeed, we find ourselves very easily Fitting in, well, we hope we appear to be like that, fitting in with you here this morning. I want to turn to uh, two Corinthians, that passage that was just read for us. Um, It's there in the in the text, uh, in the Bible, in the in the uh, in the pews and the seats there, on page one thousand two hundred eight, two Corinthians chapter one, with a general heading to it, I suppose, is when God enters or when God invades our world. seems that, um, I think to most of us, we live in a world in which the twin realities of heaven and hell appear to be very, very distant. We live in a world that holds up health and happiness as the apex and the and the real desire of most people. Uh, Chris has very wisely prayed this morning, uh, reminding us, of the nature of the world in which we live, of of terrorism and disease and hardship. We live in a world that believes that man-made religions are superior to anything that Jesus said. If you want to know what our world is like and what we really believe, you can do a simple thing. You can actually walk down the road into a news agency and look at all the magazines that are on sale in the newsagent. They appear to be benign, don't they? Just ordinary, just things to read. But if you look very carefully at the titles and the areas of interest, it'll tell you of the idols of of Melbourne and of Australia. When people have removed heaven and hell far from their thinking, and their thinking now is given over to travel or improving the body, or the hobbies. The the people who produce those magazines are not fools. They know exactly what buttons to press within us, for they know our areas of interest. Now, not the idolatry of a huge statue and people sacrificing animals to it, or other sorts of things. It's a very clever Western idolatry. By this new camera, it's better than the last one. Improve your light lot with this vehicle, it's better than the last one. Make this adjustment to your, your person, you'll look better than you did. And so on and so on. In this world, it will be no surprise there, therefore, that when God speaks, or when God enters this world, the world will not like it. There will be disruption and disagreement and conflict. It happened when Jesus entered the world. And a, a, here is a man in whom was no sin. Here is one who appeared to all the on all the evidence that we have to act with kindness and care and respect to people. And and the the opinion, the judgment of the society into which he came was to dismiss him to oblivion. Let us get him, let's get him out of here. Destroy this man. And they killed him. And those who followed him, and those whom he personally chose to proclaim the message that he was commissioned to bring, Speaking of his own death and resurrection, even those whom he chose to further the gospel, to further the message, they will experience the same thing, as did the Apostle Paul, and that's where we pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For in 2 Corinthians, Paul has, Paul's writing a letter to the people in Greece, in Corinth. In fact, uh, it would appear that it's obviously not the first letter, it's probably about the third or fourth one. One or two of them have gone missing. And here is Paul writing to these people, people with whom he'd lived for 18 months. He'd spent more time in Corinth than perhaps any other missionary area that he'd visited. And here he is, Paul speaking, <clears throat> around about 50 AD, speaking of when the Gospel came, when in effect God invaded Corinth through the preaching of Paul. He writes to them and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, that's other parts of Greece, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When God intervenes in your life, nothing can stay the same. And nothing had stayed the same for the convert's in Corinth. If you go back to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 18 the story of what happened uh, when Paul preached there. It's on page uh, 1162, 1162 in your Pew Bibles. In Acts chapter 18, it says after this Paul left Athens where he'd been preaching and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker by trade, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath day he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. What was he trying to persuade them about? Well, we'll see. When, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia... Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to Jews that Jesus was the Christ. God is invading the world of the Jews in Corinth back there around about 50 AD. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I go to Gentiles. And then he left the synagogue and he goes on preaching. Their world had changed. When the message of Jesus came, it was like an alarm had gone off. Information had come to them that changed their life. It's very interesting. Uh, I understand some time back, or 50, 60 years ago, there was a play being presented in uh, London, in England, And uh, it was a rather satirical play, and part of the play featured a man sitting at a desk down there, and another man coming in to to seek a job. The man at the desk was interviewing people who he wanted to employ. And the person who walked in, it was a satirical comedy play, the person who walked in seeking a job, walked in with a transistor radio attached to his ear, listening to it. Obviously he wasn't very serious about getting a job. He sat down and, uh, as a display of almost arrogance and and, uh, uh, kind of indifference, put the radio down on the desk and the job interview started. And as he put the radio down, he actually switched it on to a local radio station in London. Such was his uh, arrogance and his disdain for the man interviewing him. But what happened was, when he turned it on, picked up a London radio station, and the music was playing, it stopped. And a voice came over the radio which said, Today, the American president, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated. Everything changed. The audience listening to the play, watching the play, heard this real broadcast. The play was gone. All people could talk about now was, Kennedy's dead. That piece of information came to them and changed the character of the play. The play just fell apart, because everybody in the audience says, what's happened, what's happened? when the word of Jesus came by Jesus to Jerusalem and when the word of Jesus was then brought by the apostles around the world, things changed. There are people in church this morning who when they learned about Jesus, their world changed. And the problem with people like me who have been a Christian for over 50 years, I tend to forget what that was like. I do. I do. And then I meet someone who's been a Christian just a week or a month or a year and they say everything's changed. And you see people who are downsizing their houses or selling shares or or changing their job because now they're gripped by the the word of Jesus and they realise that nothing can be the same ever again. The realities of heaven and hell were not just distant anymore but they are real right in front of them. And they realise they've been rescued from the judgment of hell, taken from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's God's beloved Son and now they are heaven bound. But for others of us, the realities of heaven and hell begin to move back and move back and we no longer see it like it was. And we are very comfortable Christians and we start agonising over the air conditioner that doesn't work and my ambient temperature can now not stay at 22, 12 months of the year. Or I'm worried about my reputation in my community and I find things intruding in my, my time when, when I know that I should be gripped by the fact that one day the Lord will return and I will give an account to him. Because truly, if we've understood it, when God intervenes in the world, in your life, nothing can stay the same. It was like that for the Corinthians. Just look here what happens when Paul does speak to them. He's an apostle, is the apostle Paul. He's chosen by Jesus to speak the gospel. Indeed, in earlier days, we understand our Bible to be Old Testament, New Testament. In the very early stage of the church, what we call the New Testament was in two parts. It was called Gospel and Apostle The first four books and the rest of it. And here is what one of the apostles is saying to the church of God in Corinth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So easy to start reading a book like the uh, uh, like one of the uh, epistles and and to read it in such a way that um, we think well we've got the induction over but now let's get on to the real meaty part of it. Let's hold on there just a fraction for a moment. The opening phrases: "Grace and peace to you from God our Father." God's undeserved mercy is something that should occupy our mind all the time. The peace which God brings, not a tranquility that that sort of lowers blood pressure, but the but the cessation, the stopping of hostility between God and me, should occupy my thoughts all the time. You see I'm reminded by this that good people do not go to heaven. Only bad people go to heaven. I preached that once in a church and after, more after the service, morning tea, a lady came up to me, a very proper lady. She said, Mr Ramsey, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. She said, did you say in your sermon that good people do not go to heaven? I said, yes. She said, I do have a question for you. She said, well, what happens to them? Who are, you know, If only bad people go, what happens to the good ones? I said, whom do you have in mind? And she didn't ask any more questions. She was thinking of herself. Do you disagree with me? Only bad people go to heaven. There are no good people. We aren't. Irrespective of the awards or the accolades we might have received, No. We are people who are recipients of God's undeserved mercy, his grace. God's grace says that even though you deserve hell, I will take you from that and make you a citizen of heaven, as Paul says in Philippians. Grace and peace, no more hostility. If I died tonight, if I died this morning, where do I stand with God? We are friends. I am his son, his child. I am forgiven. And when he looks on me, as he looks on any other Christian, he sees Jesus and all that Jesus done. Now, if I understand that correctly, that changes everything, doesn't it? I haven't got to impress God anymore. Not that I could have in the first place. For God has said, I have forgiven you my grace and mercy. And Paul starts his letter by reminding people of that in which they stand. It's very easy if you've been in church for a long time. You kind of know the ropes. And this church is a bit like the church I was in for many years ago. There are plaques on the wall. And things are dedicated to various people. And folk want to be thanked for what they do and all that kind of stuff. Why is that the case? There aren't any plaques on the wall of heaven. There's only the Lamb's Book of Life in which our names are written. We don't have to impress anyone. And we've got to remind people what we are. All we've got to say is before God, once I was lost, but now I'm found. And who was it who who drew me back? Who was it who who found me? Well, the Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again and again, the Apostle Paul reminds us of our true status, you see. God, you are our Father. We are your children. And at this level, there's no difference between us. I love the old Sunday School chorus. We actually sang it back in Liverpool where I was. Red or yellow, black or white, all our precious in his sight. It's true. And those who come to Christ, we might call even multiculturalism. There really is only one culture. There's not a multiculture, only one culture. It's a culture of sin, of people who stand in opposition to God. And when that hostility is gone, when forgiveness has come, then our new culture is that of people who are in the church of, of God, in the body of Christ, people who are brothers and sisters. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And as he goes on through verses 3 to 7 there, he says it again and again and again. He speaks of suffering. He speaks of affliction. And ten times he reminds them of the comfort that God gives. For when God invades the world and when we yield to him and we become Christian, we are not in heaven yet. We're on this, in, on this earth where there is suffering, and pain. We sang in the song, did you hear yourself say it, of God, you know, blessed be the name? Twice we said it. Did you hear yourself say it, to God, in the song? You give and take away. You give and take away. What would you sing if this afternoon your wife was taken away. Our children were taken away. So easy to see, so hard to, to grasp and to accept the reality. For I have sat with people who have said, why did God take my daughter away? You give and take away. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, that is so hard to do. So hard. We might say it at a funeral, but when we say it in a song, pray pray God we don't say it too simply or so tritely. For when we come to Christ we may be ushered into suffering and affliction as Paul reminds the Corinthians in chapter 1 here. Look at it and see. The God and Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have been received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort. And Paul has got this, this tension in his life and you can read about what happened to him. Later on in 2 Corinthians, he'll detail all the ways in which he suffered, especially when he was in Turkey and heading across to Greece. He talks about the afflictions and, and how he himself was afflicted, beaten and he suffered. And he says in verse 8, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. There's one good thing about the 21st century at one level, or one aspect of it, and that is internet and and, uh, television and almost instantaneous news. When we can see Christians being massacred in parts of Africa or we see people who who are banned from proclaiming Christ or people who are having their churches burned down or Christians being uh, beheaded in parts of the Middle East. We're a long way from here, in Melbourne or in Sydney. And it's hard for us to remember sometimes that to walk the path of the Christian life might involve suffering. And there may well be people here in this church, as have been in churches where I've been before, who when a son or a daughter became a Christian, their father disinherited them and shut down any any, uh, uh, capacity for them uh, to gain any financial or other advantage upon their parents' death. In fact, shut out of house and home. We had people like that and they're possibly here. I was reminded of a very helpful statement by the, the, the American preacher, a man called John Piper. You might have come across him. Talking about people's suffering and the hardship we have and even the pain we might experience. And he made this interesting phrase, he used this interesting phrase which hadn't occurred to me and attracted my attention. He said, through all your hardship, through all your suffering, never forget this one thing that throughout it all, God is plotting for your joy. And God is. I never thought of God plotting before, it sounds rather devious. But he was saying through all of this, God is working ultimately for your joy, which really picks up the themes of Romans, doesn't it? And Paul here, speaking to the Corinthians, is able to say, through the suffering, through the affliction, God will comfort you. All comfort, all affliction, in every affliction, God will ease that pressure through, through the ministry of Christ. Because Paul could talk about all affliction. In chapter 1 verse 5 here he talks about it there. And then through chapter 7, uh, uh, in chapter 7 he mentions as well, he talks about the suffering in chapter 7. But Paul did not give up. Look at him there in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longings for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. And on he goes through the rest of that chapter. Our Christian lives may well be hard but God will comfort and in Paul's case, as often as our own, that comfort will come from the lips of somebody else. We might be reminded of Bible truths but those Bible truths can come with greater force when we are reminded of them by a Christian brother or sister. Here is Paul understanding and experiencing that kind of comfort. Who is Paul's God? Well, he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how does Paul? Uh, how does Paul's God comfort him? How does the Father comfort him? Well, through the, the uh, direct ministrations of his friends and his colleagues. Sometimes it does come by divine direction from God. Other times it comes just by our friends. And God works in marvelous ways. Leslie and I were listening to a lady just two weeks ago who we only know her first name. She's going to the Middle East, somewhere like Lebanon or Jordan uh, or in Syria. She's a single woman going out to work as a Christian in that area. And she told us of the news that she'd received because of, of the terrible terror there in Iraq and part of Syria now with ISIS and ISIL. She told us how in parts of uh, Iraq and Syria people were not allowed even to have Bible studies. They, there was, Christian workers were not allowed and the Christian faith was being diminished. But because of ISIL, because of ISIS and that terrible uh, horror that they are bringing, people have fled out of all those countries and they're being forced out and now they're in refugee camps. She's going to conduct Bible studies in the refugee camps because now they're allowed to do that. Who would have thought that the horror of the, of, the, of the ISIS and ISIL terrorists, that part of the, the results of what they're doing, vile and horrible though it is, it's now making possible because people are being thrust out to have Bible studies in, in refugee camps. And she is going, as a means of God's grace, to bring comfort to Christians in those camps. What a wonderful thing she is doing I couldn't believe it when she spoke, because whenever people, whenever I hear people talk like that, I think, Gee, "Could I do that?" I went, "Well, I'm not a woman; I couldn't." You see, so. but but what would it be like to do that? Because you see, when God invades the world, everything happens. It's no longer my comfort, which is meant to be at, at the preeminent in my thinking. Comfort is not meant to be preeminent in your thinking. And how would it be if in Surrey Hills, in in Stephen's church here, this Presbyterian congregation, we, you, began thinking, I wonder if I could move out of my comfort zone and be re-gripped by the realities of heaven and hell and have a deeper and a refreshed appreciation of God's grace. I do not deserve it. And to know that when I put my head on a pillow at night that everything between God and me now is okay. There is peace. And all comes in that opening statement, a few paragraphs of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Here he is, he's saying, In this harsh world, God's grace will, will win out. In this harsh world, God's comfort will come in the afflictions we find, even in opposition, at work or in family, God will sustain me. See, it's part of God's design that the darkness be penetrated and that God-centred, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated people and churches spread even through the suffering and martyrdom of his people. I was, I was very brave yesterday in the marriage course, brave because, see, I'm not going to be around for a couple of days, uh, much longer, I'm, I'm going to escape back north to Sydney. And I was saying to the folk uh, in the marriage course, as you walk around Surrey Hills, have you ever met anybody who ought not follow Jesus. And of course, nobody could say they had. But if if we, no matter how old we are, or young, or experienced or inexperienced, married or single, male or female, if we were to be gripped again by this marvellous message of Jesus. Could I possibly experience some affliction? Could I possibly experience some ostracism from my group of friends? Could I be shut out of some family activity? Could I lose preferment in my job if I stand for Jesus? simply and plainly and openly? Or do I step back? Because, after all, isn't that why we employ ministers? To be in the front line and to do the heavy lifting. But no, says Jesus, we're all involved. We're all to, as it were, in our going, make disciples. And here is Paul encouraging these Corinthians who themselves were actually criticising him to say, no, we are part of it all. Remember what Jesus said? I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and and innocent as doves. And the people who heard that were in absolutely no doubt as to what happens to a sheep in the midst of a pack of wolves. I don't know about you folks, but I find some of the statements of Jesus so chilling that I want to say, Lord, please, can you hold off on that bit a bit for me? But there are his words. Behold, I'm sending you out. Or, you know, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, says Paul in Romans. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Because Jesus knew that this would be the portion of, of his darkness penetrating, mission advancing Christian missionaries around the world. It will be hard, friends, but here it is again in 2 Corinthians. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, he says in verse 5, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. Always consider the end. Consider the latter end. For Paul then is very keen clear that what he's going through is of value and of worth. Because he says in verse 9, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this has happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers and many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Here's Paul being sustained not only by the words but by the prayers of his friends as we will sustain each other. Again, I say, I I, I have no idea of of your backstory, of, of of your personal circumstance. And it is quite possible, it really is quite possible, that a man or a woman or a young person sits in this building week upon week upon week, knowing that when they go home or when they go to work tomorrow they'll be marginalised or ostracised because of their Christian faith. And they haven't told anybody here because they're not sure how to do it or whether or not that's even acceptable. Sometimes it might be helpful for us, just in the ordinary context of a congregation, to say to people, how are you travelling? Where do you work? Oh, I work for a building company. How do you find being a Christian working at a building company? Oh, that's okay. Are there any other Christians in that company? I don't know. There might be other people in that same company who feel just like that person does. But because we keep it in, We bear it alone and we don't know. And there might be people who go back to a a family that's not maybe Australian or not Caucasian and there are families with different religious backgrounds of Islamic or Buddhist or Hindu or, or a fairly strong minded atheist. And we don't know what it's like to be that person because if it's like Jim and Leslie here are two Christians who can drive home together holding hands. Well, not when you're driving, but you know what I mean. And we have our ch- Christian children home. It's quite easy. But other people know it's hard. At this point, you see, we want to be able to say, we'll stand with you. How is it? Talk with your friends. And if it's hard at work, tell someone at church, ask them to pray with you or for you. And if you're not sure what it's like, ask people how they're going. In fact, at morning tea this morning, you know what I might do? I might just, just walk around while people have got cups of tea and I'll try and tune into a couple of conversations. Would that be rude? Possibly not. But I'd hope you might sort of enjoy each other and ask those sort of questions. Because when God invades the world, it will create tension and ostracism, and for Jesus, it caused death. And for us, it might cause death ostracism and fear we should be strong in this we should encourage one another for God is a God of comfort he is a comforting God and he will comfort through the ministrations of his people I've been a Christian for over 50 years anybody here been a Christian for 50 years? you're too young you can't be Okay. Over that 50 years, I bet you will have seen people who said they were Christians back when you were a Christian but they're no longer Christians. They've fallen away. An interesting question to ask people at morning tea, those who put their hands up, ask them at morning tea why are you still a Christian? Why haven't you fallen away? Not that I want you to. Remember when Jesus was speaking, and the Apostle Peter was there, and everybody walked away, and Jesus said, "Are you walking away too?" Peter said, "No." Jesus said, "Why?" And Peter said, "What do you say?" Yes, yes. Come on, Atlanta. You have the words of eternal life. That's our Lord Jesus, you see. He has the words of eternal life. I don't want to walk away from him and I'd bet the farm you don't want to walk away from him either. But sometimes it's hard to keep going. We should encourage one another, comfort one another in our afflictions because when God has come, he has come with grace and peace and we want to hold on to that firmly with both hands and we want to encourage our friends to do the same as well. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, you are our Father and we are your children. We thank you for the grace that you have shown. We thank you for the peace that now exists between ourselves and yourself. Not because of our merit, but because of your grace. And Father, we pray now for those people who are with us today who feel I feel afflicted, possibly even persecuted. At least they might be feeling that they are being shut out because they are Christian. That parents no longer regard them with favour. That friends think they are foolish and stupid. Father, we pray for ourselves. You would help us to stay stand firm and not to yield, that we might remember even the words of Peter, that the Lord Jesus has the words of eternal life. So, Father, we pray, strengthen us, help us to persevere to the end, that we might enjoy all that which you have promised. Thank you, Father, for the comfort you bring from your word, for that comfort that comes from the words of friends. Thank you, Father, for your spirit who helps us to pray and helps us to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.